Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. would open up your Bibles to chapter 39 of Genesis. We're going to continue in the life of Joseph, looking at what many of you probably learned in Sunday school as Joseph in the coat of many colors. Or if you grew up uh, in, in the theater or you went to the theater, maybe you've seen the musical Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat, right? This is the story that this is what most people know about Joseph, that he had a fancy robe. But there's a lot more to Joseph's life. So just to bring you up to speed, if you haven't been here for the last few weeks, let me just bring you up to speed of where we're at in Joseph's life. First, Joseph was the favorite of his father Jacob, and that is how he came to own the coat of many colors, because it was a special gift signifying, it could have been even signifying that Jacob's intention to bless one of his youngest children with the birthright or his inheritance. Um... He was despised, as a result, he was despised by his brothers. His brothers hated him. This favoritism that was shown to Joseph stirred up anger and jealousy and strife in his brothers, and they, they plotted to kill him. But the oldest brother, Reuben, decided, no, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit for a while. And Reuben had good intentions. He was trying to save his brother Joseph from, from their hands because Reuben already had blood on his hands, and he didn't want to go to his father as the oldest and say, I lost your son. So he said, let's throw him in a pit. And Reuben had the intention of going and pulling Joseph out of the pit and restoring him to his father. However, as Reuben was away... Uh, his brother Judah had an idea, hey, instead of killing him and, or leaving him in the pit, why should we not profit? And they sold him right, to Arabs or Ishmaelites. They sold him to the Ishmaelites who came by, and then they took him on to Egypt and then resold him. And Joseph became a slave taken from his people against his will, sold into slavery in Potiphar's house. And, and Joseph, God had definitely, we have learned, given Joseph an, a really amazing gift to interpret, to have dreams or, or basically pr- prophetic dreams and also interpret those dreams. And God's favor is upon Joseph through all of this. Now, Joseph, being young with a great spiritual gift, was also kind of an idiot and told everybody all of his dreams. And even if his dreams hurt people or offended people or meant that they would have to suffer, he didn't care. He just told them. And that also stirred up the anger of his brothers. But there's no doubt he has a spiritual gift. And he ends up in Potiphar's house as a slave. And God is still with him and blesses everything he does. And Potiphar makes him his second in command right, in his, of his household. Now, he's wealthy. He was the captain of the guard. And he makes Joseph his number two. And he, but while he's his number two, he, he gains the eye of Potiphar's wife. And that's where we pick up today. In, in chapter 39, most of your Bibles will have it subtitled as Joseph and Potiphar's wife. So let's go there right now and read. We'll read verses, in, in, in chapter 39, we'll read verses 1 through 6. Verse 1, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. 
and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Verse 4, so Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had from the time he made him overseer in his house till, uh, excuse me, he blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in, in the house and the field. Verse six, so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. We're going to just pause right there. Here, here we are with Joseph, and it just his life so far kind of sucks, right? I mean, he's a young guy. Uh, you know, he, he has these dreams. He doesn't know what to do with them. He just starts spouting off, and, you know, his brothers just hate him. He's got all these guys just, and I mean, he's in slavery. Did he do anything to deserve slavery? No, nothing, nothing. He was just taken away, sold. And, you know, we're reminded, last week we talked about it a little bit, but he was sold for 20 pieces of silver. And we remember that, or 20, 20, whatever the denomination was, right? And it might not have been silver. But then we read later in the New Testament, Jesus was also sold out uh, for claiming to be the Son of God. He was sold out for 30 pieces of silver, betrayed by his own people. And Joseph has every right every right to curse God, right? You would, you would think he has every right, every inclination. Many of us probably would have. As a matter of fact, I've walked through a lot with a lot of people through a lot of troubling things. And one of the first things a lot of people do is start getting angry with God. And here, Joseph, he, he could totally do that. But he, through all of it, he remains faithful to God and God is present with him. Now, like you, I go through phases in my life where God can seem a million miles away. And it doesn't always have to be something I'm going through that's particularly tough. As a matter of fact, sometimes when things seem to be going great on the outside, going great in the church, going great in my marriage, going great in my life, God can seem a million miles away sometimes. But and maybe that's you today. Maybe that's how where you're at. You're feeling like, well, I'm praying, but I don't feel like God is there. I don't feel like he's present. I don't feel like he's hearing my prayer. I feel like I'm just praying to the air. I, where is God? I want to tell, I got good news for you. It's not him. It's you. All right. Now that might not seem like good news, right? But it's truth. It's truth. It's not him. It's you. You know, when we back before we were married, maybe we told people like told people that, right? It's not you. It's me. Right. But in this case, it's you, not him. Cause God is present. God is present. He was present with Joe with Joseph, and he's present with you, no matter how far away he feels. And I'm telling you this from experience, not from exp biblically, but also from personal experience. When I feel distant from God, it's not because he's distant from me, it's because I've distanced myself from him. And why does that happen most of the time when things are going really, really well and going really, really awesome? It's because that's a time when I don't really need God, right? When things are going awesome, we don't really, we think to ourselves, we don't really need God here. But when it hits the fan, then we're like, God, where are you? God, where are you? Where are you in this? And then we come crawling back, right? And, and here's the thing. When God seems distant, there's three things that we have forgotten. We have forgotten what God has done. 
We have forgotten what God has done. In your life, in the Bible, what God has done, we forget. We forget about it. And the Israelites are no different. We'll learn in Exodus, God does a ton of awesome things, but they are basically like, God, what have you done for me lately? And they forget. And they forget. And it, we, we learned that a few weeks ago, Jacob, God, he had some very significant times in his life. But the time that he wrestled with God and prevailed, he built a little altar. Remember we talked about this? And we talked about the importance of in our lives building up small altars, not so we can worship them, but as stones of remembrance. Lately, as I've been mountain biking around this area, I actually went a couple days ago in the cold and the rain, and it was just good to be on the bike. I didn't even care about the cold and the rain. But I'm telling you, the best preaching comes when I'm out doing that kind of stuff, because I mean, I'm just alone with God and thinking and meditating on his word. And as I'm riding around, have you noticed lately there's been like these little stone stacks of rocks everywhere. I, this must be a trending thing I'm not aware of. If you know about it, fill me in later. But like kids that are hiking or maybe even adults or families, they're setting up these stones uh, for whatever reason. Okay. And they, they remind me of Jacob. They remind me of what Jacob did. He set up this little pillar as a reminder of where he was. Church, this is what we need to do. When God brings us through something significant, we need to bookmark that, right? We need to, we need to, Set that as a moment in time that we will go back and we will remember what God has done. Because when God seems very distant, we have, first of all, forgotten what he's done in the past. And because of that, we despair at what he can do. But we have to remember also what God has promised. So when God feels distant, we forget what he's done, but we also forget what he has promised. In Matthew 28, verse 20, it says this, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the words of Jesus. I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm with you always until you disappoint me. I'm with you always until you sin and break covenant with me. I am with you always until you otherwise disappoint me, right? That's not what the word says. He says, I am with you always until the end of the age. God has promised to be with us. And we need to count on that, that when he feels far away, it doesn't mean he's far away. Amen? Lastly, we forget what God is capable of. When God is, seems distant, we forget what he's capable of. We love to quote this verse, for all things are possible with God. He is the all-powerful, almighty God. We limit him to our human understanding, but he is not limited by our understanding. He is above our understanding. He is beyond our understanding. And what he can do is beyond our understanding. He can do and does do the impossible. We must remember that what God has done, what he has promised, and what he is capable of, which is anything. Amen? God is capable of anything. So when God seems distance, remember, remember these things. This is how we combat that. We must be determined to get to God. When we're alone, when we're forsaken, even in circumstances surround us that are not our fault, and this happens more often than you like to think, but, when, when, but sometimes it is our fault for sure. Sometimes it, it's a mistake we've made and we're paying the consequences, but sometimes it's, we're just in a funk, we're in a mood, and we don't know exactly why. Well, Oswald Chambers says it like this, moods never go by praying, moods go by kicking. Moods never go by praying, moods go by kicking. Remember that. I love that quote. I love that verse. Sometimes we just have to kick our mood. We just have to kick it. Because as children of God, we really, really have no reason to be in a funk or a bad mood. Now, 
I understand that there are that depression is a real thing, and that doesn't mean you have a demon if you're depressed. I don't believe that, okay? Uh, and most of Christianity doesn't believe that. They just treat you that way, okay? But that's, that's not, we know that there is brain chemicals and things happening, but, but depression, funky moods, you know, these things go by kicking, by sheer determination and remembering these things, right? We need to kick these things out. And I want to remind you that no matter where you are, Jesus is right there too. There's nowhere you can go that he's not there. There's nothing you can experience that Jesus hasn't already experienced. God is present. Now, we get to verse 19 in chapter 39. Potiphar's wife, again, had her eye on Joseph. And she keeps trying to get him into bed with her. He keeps, she keeps saying this, come lie with me, she says. And Joseph will not even be in the same room with her if he can help it. Now, a little while ago, Vice President Mike Pence caught a ton of flack because he said he will not go to lunch with a woman alone. I want to tell you that I don't care where you fall on this thing. Uh, if you disagree with him, you're wrong. I'm just going to tell you, right? Straight up, you're wrong. It is good to avoid the appearance of evil. And here, Joseph is doing everything he can to avoid being trapped. Being alone with a woman, uh, men, or me- women being alone with men is not a good idea. It's not a good idea because it draws, in some people's minds, questions. And here's Joseph trying to avoid all circumstances of being in the same room. But I can just see her kind of chasing him around the house, Right? And eventually, she, she, she gets a hold of this guy, and she's like, come lie with me. And she grabs his cloak, and he runs away like a jackrabbit, right? And, and all that's left is his cloak. Boom, poof, he's gone. She's got the cloak. She's so frustrated, she makes a false accusation against him to the servants that are in the house. And when the master comes back, Potiphar, remember, the captain of the guard, she makes a similar accusation. He came to laugh at me, to take advantage of me in my own house, in my own bed. And of course, Potiphar is outraged, right? And has him immediately thrown into prison. And this is where we find Joseph now in verse 19. As soon as his master heard the words his wife had spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. God was with Joseph even throughout his false imprisonment. Why, do, why does communism, why do, why do a lot of these countries who oppress Christianity, why do they fear it so? Because he brings freedom to even those in captivity. He brings hope to the absolute hopeless. And, and this inspires people. And, and they, they hate this. And here's Joseph in, in prison, and he, God, God just gives him all this kind of favor. You know, I know a real-life Joseph. His name is Paul I. And if you've been here long enough, you've met this guy. This guy was in Vietnam. He was a witch doctor in Vietnam during the war. 
right? And it, during the war, missionaries fled, just, just swarmed Vietnam. And, and while he was there, he went to curse the missionaries and, and uh, put a witch doctor hex on them or whatever. And he went there and he listened and he became a Christian. And God transformed. He's got tattoos from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet of all these witch doctor symbols. And God saved him. And then he started, just like a lot of young Christians, just started telling everybody about Jesus, right? And he becomes a pastor, and he becomes a, the head of the Assemblies of God in Vietnam, and eventually is imprisoned. And he's in prison for a couple of years, and every single person in his prison becomes a Christian. I mean, I know this guy personally. If God's willing, we'll have him back. Everybody becomes a Christian. They move him to another prison. Eventually, the infection spreads, this infection of the gospel, until they just kick him out of prison. And he's out because he's just doing more harm in prison than he was out. God's favor is all over this guy. Now, he's hard to understand when he comes to preach. He is. I mean, English is not his first language, obviously. And he, is, he still ministers in Indonesia. He's been kicked out of Vietnam permanently. But he still ministers in a lot of these areas, Laos, Indonesia, places where it's still very hard to preach the gospel. And God's favor is still all over Paul. I. And here we have Joseph, and God's blessings just all over him. And God is showing his kindness to Joseph, even in terrible, terrible circumstances. Can you imagine being thrown into prison for something you didn't do? I was reminded of a story I heard about in 1980, I think 1986, of an army, I think he was a corporal. And he was at Fort Riley, Kansas, and he was in a one-car accident at night during a party. He went out to get cigarettes, and he got in a car accident, hit a tree, and bloodied his chin and his shirt. But that very same night, somebody broke into a trailer of an old woman, violated her, and murdered her. And they started questioning him, and they put him under intense questioning. And so the guy eventually confessed to a crime he didn't do just to get out from underneath this. He was tired. They had interrogated him for a couple days. He made a false confession and uh, went to jail and served his entire term of nine years, nine or ten years, got out. And then DNA testing had evolved to the point where they were able to retest a lot, and it wasn't him, which he claimed the entire time. He could have got out earlier, but he claimed the entire time that it wasn't him. Ten years had gone by. The entire, every single day, 365 days a year, sitting in prison for a crime he did not commit. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Now, I'm thankful that the justice system, for the most part, gets it right, right? For the most part, gets it right. But I can't imagine being thrown into prison for something I didn't do. But as soon as he gets there, God's favor is all over him. He basically becomes in charge of the prison, running everything in the prison. The guard basically just goes on a vacation for a couple of years. Church, sometimes we find ourselves in situations that are less than favorable, situations that we didn't anticipate, situations we don't want to be in, and especially in this community where your future, where you go, is not dictated by your own desires, but by the needs of the Navy or the Army or the Marine Corps or the Air Force. Sometimes you find yourself in a place you wouldn't want to be. And let me tell you, civilians, Germans and Americans alike, this happens to you too sometimes. Layoffs happen, things happen, and we find ourselves in places we don't want to be. And we cry out to God and we complain to God because sometimes we mistake God's kindness 
for cruelty. Sometimes we, we mistake God's mercy for cruelty. You know, maybe you missed something. Maybe you were, you, you know, you were moved from this assignment or that assignment, but something bad happened there. Or maybe it wasn't for your benefit. Or maybe God's glory for you was somewhere else. We often mistake what God is doing as a curse. But God was preparing Joseph in prison and humbling him and getting him ready for a great, great assignment. Because through Joseph, and not only was God kind to Joseph, but through Joseph, he demonstrated kindness to the world. In Luke, the Bible tells us that he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Aren't you, I, I think back to before I was a Christian, and I am reminded of all of the things I did and how stupid they were, and how thankful I am that God was kind to the ungrateful and the evil in those times. I did not even get what I deserved as a sinner, that's for sure. But God, was, God is demonstrating his kindness through Joseph as he is preparing him to provide not only for his own people, but for the world as, we knew it, as, as they knew it at the time. So first point, God is present. Second point, God is kind. Last point, God is at work. We get to verse we go, now we're going to skip all the way ahead to 41. Let me tell you, church, if you are not reading between the lines here as we're preaching, as we're going through the story, if you're not reading all the texts that we skip over, if you're not reading the chapters that we miss throughout the week, you're, you're, you're missing out. You're missing out because this is a wonderful, wonderful story, and there's so much to learn and know in the Old Testament. Verse 14 of 41 says this, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said that you can interpret a dream when you hear it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Now, up until this point, how, do we, how did Pharaoh hear this? Well, because the baker and the candlestick maker, no, the cupbearer, uh, had already testified that Joseph interpreted their dreams. The cupbearer had a favorable interpretation. He was going to be restored to his rightful place. Unfortunately for the baker, the dream said he was going to be hung in three days, and that's exactly what happened. And so the word had reached Pharaoh that Joseph had this gift of interpreting dreams. And so now here we, find, here we find Joseph before Pharaoh interpreting his dream. And the dream of Pharaoh was there was going to be seven years of famine, excuse me, of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And so Pharaoh, seeing that God, again, these are not Christian people. These are not God's people. These are not Israelites who see the gift Joseph has. This is the world. Church, this is an example of lifestyle evangelism, right? You might think, well, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to go to work. Instead of sharing Jesus with people and talking about Jesus, I'm just going to go to work and be a Christian. Are you being the kind of Christian where people stand up and take note, right? Like, that's fine. I get it. I think it's actually very effective, right? But we should still, when the opportune time comes, talk about Jesus for sure, right? We definitely should take advantage of those moments who are, that are set up through lifestyle evangelism. But listen, Joseph there was, everybody sees it in Joseph. There's something about him. God's favor is upon him. God is at work in him, and these people want a piece of that. They want to take advantage of that. God is on a mission. 
We see it from Genesis 3.16 where God said to the serpent that Eve's offspring will crush his head and you shall bruise his heel. From this moment forward, we are made aware. This doesn't mean that this plan was formed then. It means that we are made aware of God's plan to redeem humanity. I want to tell you that God is at work in redemption. He's at work in redeeming Joseph. He's at work even in redeeming his brothers. He's at work in redeeming humanity. He's on a mission to save his people through the redemptive work of Christ. God used Joseph, who was an outcast, who was despised by his own people, to save them in their darkest hour. Jesus, the Son of God, suffered the wrath of God. Make no mistake about it. You're not forgiven because God loves you. God's love was man manifest on the cross. You are forgiven because of the atoning work of the cross of Calvary, period. With no, if there's no cross, there's no forgiveness. The wrath of God, the wrath that, is, that we deserve, that should have been poured out upon us, was poured out upon the Savior, Jesus Christ. He paid the price for our sin. Wrath was suffered so that in him we might live. The spiritual starving us that we might obtain salvation through Jesus. This is so, so important. In churches full of mercy and grace, we have cheapened the value of what it really costs the Son of God on Calvary's cross. No matter how dark things look, no matter where we find ourselves today, we can trust that God is working through and in our circumstances for our good and for His glory. Absolutely, 100%. It doesn't always feel like that. I'm not going to lie to you, right? There'd be no point in lying to you about it because we've all experienced that. Where is God in this? In this? Where is God? And sometimes it won't be till many years later. Sometimes it won't be till we're face-to-face with Jesus where we see his plan and his glory revealed in our circumstances. But church, take, take comfort in this. He has promised he is with us always until the end of the age. Adversity is a fact of life. By God's grace, most of you will not be thrown into prison innocent, right? You will not be innocently thrown into prison. By God's grace, you will never face that. But adversity is a fact of life. Sometimes we can get into the wrong job and feel like we're in prison, right? We can be married to the wrong person, feel like we're married to the wrong person and feel like we're in prison. Listen, Jesus brings hope to the hopeless. He brings freedom. He brings hope. Trust in him. We are never alone. God never intended us to go through life alone. Why is a church family so important? Because God never intended us to go through this alone. Why is the Holy Spirit so important? Who is the Holy Spirit? Is he just God's errand boy? Who is the Holy Spirit? The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is fully God. God the Father sent the Son, Jesus, which we'll celebrate in just a couple of weeks here, the birth of Jesus, the birth of Jesus into humanity. It doesn't mean Jesus was created in that moment. It means he entered into humanity in that moment. He comes and becomes a human to save us from our sins. But then Jesus, some 33 years later, dies upon a cross, innocent of all wrongdoing, and the wrath of God is poured out upon him. Then, 40 days later, Jesus ascends to, the, to heaven, his rightful place, and he sends to us the Holy Spirit, the third person 
of the Trinity, who is fully God, and he sends the Holy Spirit to fill believers that we might live for him a sanctified life and make Jesus known to the world. This is why the Holy Spirit has come. He has never intended for us to do it alone. And for those of you who fight the leading of the Holy Spirit, the the possibility that the Holy Spirit might want to fill you, that God does want to use you, those of you who are fighting against this are truly kicking against God's will. And this is... And this may, this may be why you feel alone in your Christianity. Because you have given God just about everything, but not this. You've not yielded yourself to the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not the force. Jesus is not Yoda, right? It's not the yin and the yang. It's none of that. It is God, it is God in the person of the Holy Spirit who has come to make our heart his home. Church, this is what makes Christianity awesome. This is what makes, you know, every other religion, you are trying to work your way up to God. In our, what we believe is God came down to us. He saved us. He sent the Holy Spirit down to us. We are not created to go through this alone. When you feel alone, remember what God has done, remember what he's promised, and remember what he's capable of. I, and, and, and never forget, you can feel completely alone even when everything seems awesome. When everything around you is going perfect, you can feel completely alone. Moods don't go by praying. They go by kicking. They go by kicking. Stand up. Take hold of the promises of God. Take hold of what God has said. Claim those things. Get in your Bible. Claim those things. You're struggling with something? What's the Bible say about it? You know, just as a little footnote to today's sermon, if you read all the chapters we've missed, you see a, a wonder. You see an amazing story about uh, the sister of of Joseph, Diana, who was taken advantage of and raped. Right now, that's not a great story in itself. But then you see a few chapters later, you see Joseph falsely accused of this very same act, right, and suffering the consequences. I mean, the, you want to know what you should think about the Me Too movement? Read the Bible. Read the Bible. It's there in black and white, right? What should we think about that? How should we judge that? How should we evaluate that biblically? It's right there. It's right there. You're facing problems with pornography? Get in the Word. What's the Word say about that? You're facing problems with flirting with other people? Look at the Word. What's it say about that? Whatever you're struggling with, the Word is there. Jesus is there. The Holy Spirit is there. No matter where you're at, where you feel like, he's there. Amen? Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.